Welcome to the podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing finding your joy in medicine and life. We all have passions, often suppressed and displaced by our overwhelming sense of responsibility. But can you find a way to bring your excitement and passion into your daily life and your practice? Well, today you're gonna hear an inspiring and heartwarming success that gives hope to us all. Dr. Heather Owen is our host today. She's Team Health's Chief Clinical Officer of Emergency Medicine. And I think you'll quickly recognize how fantastic she is at bringing out the best in her guests. Heather, thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Strauss. I really appreciate that. I am so excited to be here today. We are here today with Jay Max Slaughter. He's an emergency medicine physician in Fort Worth, and he's going to spend a little time with us today. He is so much. He's a father. He's a husband. He's a musician. He's a philanthropist. And I feel like he has led such an amazing life already in so many different areas. You know, he started touring um, nationwide at age 15 in a boy band. And then he lived in LA for four years in TV and film before deciding to go back to medical school. So he has found a way to integrate his passion for music and his dedication to his patients. And we are so fortunate to have him with us here today. J-Mac, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Hey, happy to be here. I'm exhausted just hearing your recap of my life so far. <laughs> I'm exhausted thinking about living it. You, know what? you are truly one of the most joyful people I have ever met. And mm. you're such a joyful person in general, but also you bring joy to so many. So we are excited to get to know you more. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're so kind. Thank you for saying that. Um, well, I grew up in a partridge family. I was just surrounded by music and by instruments and by performing. Since I literally was three years old, I was on stage. My two older sisters sing um, and perform and, and now write music. At the time, obviously, they're dancing around on stage. My dad plays guitar and sings and writes songs. My mom is actually um, a, a classically trained musician that decided not to do that you know, as, as a profession because she has terrible stage fright but she was a really great stage manager for us and would book our shows and run our sound and all that stuff. And it was, it, it brought her so much joy to see us on stage. So I literally performed on a very regular basis from, you know, three years old up um, with my family. And then I started doing shows at a local theater that seats uh, like 1300 people. It's called Casa Manana. It was theater in the round, which is a really unique entertainment experience. And so I was on stage there from like six years old on. Um, and then when I was 15, I auditioned for a boy band that was on a radio show that ended up being nationally syndicated. And it was going to be just like a joke. They were going to, you know, put together a boy band because they were like, how hard is it to put together a boy band? And then, you know, they put us on the radio. And the next thing we knew, the very first time we performed on stage, there were 4,000 people in the audience. And the show was like, oh my gosh, like we, we owe it to this group and to ourselves to promote these kids. The next thing we knew, we went on national tours. We toured with Destiny's Child um, and, uh, and, you know, like open up for Bon Jovi and some fun acts and stuff like that. And, um, and what a whirlwind. And, and that kind of led me to Los Angeles where I, I began an acting career just to switch it up a little bit and keep going down this like entertainment trail and, uh, and had a blast doing some TV and film for four years. 
And at the end of all that, I was like, okay, am I going to keep chasing this, you know, entertainment dream for the rest of my life? Or am I going to try to find something practical that I can kind of work hard at and, and be stimulated by on a daily basis? And, uh, and that move for me, it was almost like a quarter life crisis. <laughs> it was like 20 or 21. I was already in a quarter life crisis, but that move for me was the right move. And I chose to go into medicine. I don't think I don't think with all you've accomplished, you can consider any of that a, a quarter life crisis. <laughs> Although, J-Mac, I, I giggle. So at some point in time, we have to cross paths because I've been to Casa Mignana more times than I could ever count. Oh, that's I so mean, awesome. I mean, we're up south of Fort Worth. So, I mean, Casa Mignana was kind of our, our big theater experience. So, I mean, I have been there so many times I can't even count. I'm sure that's one of those so times cool. I got to see you. I that's mean, so cool. Yeah, I did anything from like the Who's Tommy to like Sound of Music and Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. So uh -huh. I was on stage as much as I could be there. Oh, that is amazing. Small world. Small yeah, world. Yeah, totally. Sure. And so then after all that you had accomplished and how, and how successful you had already been, you decided that you wanted to transition to medicine. Tell us mm. a little bit more about that. Well, it, you know, there was such, um, a wave of momentum that I was riding from, you know, the boy band into TV and film. I was on a TV show that was on for a year. Uh, it was a sitcom, a Warner Brothers show. And then I did a movie with Keenan Thompson called Fat Albert. And it was just like up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And then after the TV show didn't get picked up for a second season and I finished the movie, there was this lull and it was every other, well, most other people, not just young people, many people's dream is like, I got paid not to work. The television network, Warner Brothers said, we want a talent hold contract. So we're going to pay you six figures to not work for other networks. And I was like, okay. And so they paid me not to work, but I lost my meaning. I sat around and I waited for the right TV show on this one network to show up and it never did. And I spent about eight months not engaging in the world around me like I like to be engaged. You see my level of energy. This is me all day, every day, pretty much, unless I'm sleeping. And I was kind of going crazy. I was losing it. I was, I was working out a lot. I was, you know, surfing a lot. I was writing a lot of music. I was trying to distract myself from the fact that I wasn't really engaging in projects that stimulated me and helped me grow and, and made me happy. And then I broke my hand skateboarding and it took away all of those distractions. And it was like, look at your life, son. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I can do these lulls because the life of an actor is all about the ebb and the flow. Any, any person in the performing arts and the entertainment world, there's an ebb and a flow to it. There's peaks and valleys and, and the valleys are too painful for me. I knew that I couldn't do it, especially I was always very family oriented um, and I wanted to have some sort of steady income for my family in addition to needing that you know, mental stimulation and challenge on a regular basis. And so knowing that it wasn't going to be the world of entertainment, I had to figure out what the heck it was going to be. And right around that time, my sister, who was an ER nurse, started telling me the coolest stories ever. And I was like, I think I, think I want to be a part of those stories. I want to be that doctor that jumped on the ground for this arterial bleed after a stab wound to the neck holding the carotid while they go up to surgery because the vascular surgeon at a non-trauma facility just happened to be in house. And I want to be that doc that diagnoses the bullet that's like somehow pushed its way out of this person's 
skull after being embedded for eight years or something like that and sees that x-ray and is like, what? Are you kidding me? The bullet's coming out on its own, you know? And, uh, and amazingly enough, I, I made the cut and I was able to do it. <laughs> I'd never focused on school before, so I didn't know if I could, but I'm pretty obsessive. So it worked out. No, that is fantastic. And what a, what a <laughs> wonderful thing that your sister pulled you in. That's fantastic. Totally. And we get to work together now, by the way. Which is even better. Yeah, we're both in the same yard. <laughs> yes. You know what? Full circle for sure. Yeah. But you didn't leave. I mean, medicine, I mean, uh, music is part of who you are. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just truly part of who you are. So you didn't leave music behind. You found a way to integrate music and medicine to really mm-hmm. find, you know, that complete fulfillment that you, that you were seeking. So mm-hmm. um, tell us about this. It found a way to integrate itself. You know, I, I tried to turn my back on it. Honestly, it's like when I decided not to be in entertainment anymore, it was almost um, too painful to revisit. You know, it's kind of like like an, like an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend or something like that. As you break up and you're like, I can't even see him. I can't even see him. It's too painful. I know that it would be great if we were just friends, but it's just not going to work out like that. And that's how I felt for years after I left entertainment. And then it just kind of like wiggled its way in. It forced its way in. And and how it did so was through my experience with my mother's chemotherapy sessions. Um, I'll, I'll skip to the happy part. She's now in remission for like 13 years or something amazing. But um, she had stage two breast cancer, bordering on stage three breast cancer. It was diagnosed while I was already on the pre-medical track. And as a, you know, 20 something, highly egocentric young adult, um, I was looking at my mother in, in, in extreme pain and nausea and, and, you know, these chemo sessions, this one drug in particular um, was so toxic that it would turn your fingernails and your toenails black and they would fall off. And the way to theoretically minimize that risk is to put your fingers and toes in ice, get that vasoconstriction, less drug delivery to the extremities. And then, you know, lower, lower the, the chance for that to happen. And my mom, who's already lost so much of her womanhood, she had a double mastectomy and her hair's fallen out. She's like, I'll be damned if I'm going to lose my fingernails and toenails too. And so she put her fingernails and toenails in ice for an entire hour. And you remember being a kid and putting ice on your head. It's unbearable after a couple of minutes, right? And she has my willpower and she kept her fingernails and toenails in ice for that entire hour. And I'm this 20-something-year-old kid watching my mom in pain. And I'm like, there's got to be something that I can do to help this time go by. There's got to be something that we can do to turn this negative experience into a positive one. And so we brought our instruments. And my sisters and I came with our guitars and, um, and we started playing the songs that we played when we were little. You know, that's my, that was my mom's dream to see us all on stage and stuff. And so we kind of brought, brought that back around full circle and, um, and we're playing for her and singing and she's making requests and that room just becomes this uplifting, happy, wonderful room and people from other rooms are wheeling by and they're like, can you come by next? Can you come by and sing for us? And we're like, yeah, I guess, I guess we can. And music therapy wasn't a thing at the time. And you, you feel something like that. You have a moment in your life that that's that powerful. That's also attached to all these negative feelings. And, you know, by contrast is even more positive. And I just knew I had to do something with it. And so I started a nonprofit called Music Meets Medicine. And we raise um, money for, you know, instrument donation, for free music lessons, for kids in children's hospitals. 
We raised $150,000 in 2018, joining up, actually joined forces with the original boy band um, radio show to get that money to be able to create, open up a jam room at the local children's hospital in Dallas. And so now they have all these instruments out that they can go and explore on. And, you know, we give money to the music therapist there so they can staff that room and everything, write music with the kids, record them. And, um, and being a part of that nonprofit really helped to integrate my passion and my love for music that I had pushed to the side for so long really such a beautiful story. I am, um, mm. I can almost picture, picture your mother and the happiness she must've experienced when all of y'all are sitting mm. there playing for her. And, and you know what, you're absolutely right. You transformed that experience for her. You transformed that room, but mm. you transformed that entire hospital for a day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and when I think about um, the impact that y'all have probably had on so many children, um, being able to change their experience, even for a brief time, um, mm. it's absolutely incredible. It's mm. incredible the work that you've been able to do. And, and those, soul. yeah. And those music therapists in that, in that room and those, and those instruments that you've been able to donate and get, um, they're impacting children every single day, mm. every single day, huge long-term impact. Um, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing that story with us. Thank you so much. for yeah, sharing. Yeah, totally. Now you have continued and you have kept yourself very relevant to kind of reach a whole <laughs> population. You have educated me. I'm super cool mom now because I'm using all the right phrases, but now not only with the work that you've done and, you know, pouring yourself in um, to those children in a nonprofit, but now you've kind of transitioned into the digital creator space. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that as well. So, you know, throughout the years, uh, people that have been growing these social media accounts, they get the term influencer, right? Quote unquote influencer. And I never really wanted to be an influencer. To me, that's like you're manipulating other people and you're trying to get them to buy all this stuff. But the idea of being able to use a digital platform to create content that can, you know, give escapism to people during some of the hardest years of our life in medicine through the pandemic, to be able to educate those who may not be in medicine or who are new to medicine, um, or simply just to be able to 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 reach um, a, a broad audience and, and teach them about different ways that they can improve their health and well-being. Um, I've, I've gotten sucked in and I am just loving it because I now pretty much on a daily basis record content and post it on TikTok and on Instagram, which originally, I mean, to me, I thought the TikTok was for 12 year olds that like to dance in front of the camera. And I like to dance around too. And I admittedly have made a couple where I'm dancing, but for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm trying to educate and entertain. But my friend was like, no, no, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. And it has this chance to push your message out to more people than you would ever be able to through Facebook or through Instagram. And, and my buddy, Um, was just so adamant that I tried it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it was still kind of early on in COVID. And so I was sharing, you know, the best information that I had access to because I knew people didn't trust, um, you know, the the government as a whole or didn't trust the CDC. And so I was just trying to push things out from the perspective of, look, I, I work in emergency departments. I may be taking care of your family members. I'm, I'm boots on the ground. I have, there's nobody that's paying me to give you this information or to skew it one way or the other and found a lot of success early on. And then it just started kind of growing and expanding. 
and I've had a couple of videos that like did over 10 million. And this one, the one that I'm really the most proud of, um, I recorded after the Travis Scott incident in in Houston. And I just, you know, it was like the the morning after I woke up and it was just weighing, that event was weighing so heavily in my heart. I knew that I had to do something and I had to speak out. And so I talked about the four main ways that you can essentially protect yourself in that situation to, to try to survive in that crowd crush um, situation. And, um, and that got over 4 million views. And I was like, you know what? This is awesome because it's taking all of my experience in performing and entertainment and it's taking all of the years of, you know, uh, of working in the hospitals and sitting in classrooms and, you know, looking up things on PubMed or up to date. And it's just bringing it all together. Um, and, and it brings me so much joy. Oh, and it brings so much joy to others as well. I love the way you have throughout your entire life continued to push yourself um, to bring joy to others. Um, I mean, you've done it as a as a young man with your music and then through TV and film and then realized that you could have a um, you know greater impact and save lives in the ER. And, mm. and now you're even today still integrating that. I can't imagine. I mean, so many, so many hits on um, such an important topic. I know that someone will save their own life um, from the tips that you gave the next time mm. there's a mob or, um, or something like that. So it's, mm -hmm. it's incredible the way that you've done that. When we, when we talk and we're spending a lot of time this year talking about finding your joy and mm. finding happiness, and you're absolutely right when you say that the last few years have been the hardest for all of us. Mm -hmm for all of us. And we've all experienced that in different ways. Um, but I do hope that we'll have one thing in common. And that is, as we come out of um, this pandemic, and as we look differently, that we will all, you know, search to find our joy and, mm -hmm. um, and to remember those things that, that made us happy and that we're able to do. Um, you share a little bit about your mom, but I'm going to ask again, is there any, you know, is there anything else, any struggles that you've had um, that you'd like to kind of share with us that you've overcome and, and had to really intentionally find ways to maintain that happiness and to to repeatedly find that joy share um is there something you could share with us around that well i mean so we went to the same residency program it's a great residency program and i'm sure we had a similar experience to um, the vast majority of residents throughout the country um when we'd say that we we lost ourselves you know in the process of those 30-hour shifts um, I don't even know how many shifts a month that we were working, but it was too many. And those, I mean, uh, mind numbing number of deaths um, and metastatic cancer diagnoses that we gave and, you know, early pregnancy loss talks that we had, you end up walling yourself off, you know, and, and it makes sense because I used to actually talk to another attending at Parkland about it. There's, we called it the thousand patient stare. You can see a difference in the eyes of older residents than, than these new either med students or first year interns. And we called it the thousand patient stare. It's like the thousand yard stare, I guess is what they called it in war. When you've been on the battlefield and you've seen so much death and pain and suffering, something changes you know, and you act, you can see it in people's eyes and a lot of that sleep deprivation too. But to tell a patient's family that their loved one has died and to feel nothing is just a, 
just a tragedy of of the human condition that that you could be that numb and and I was at that place at one point you know and and I knew that it shouldn't be that way and I knew you know you when you first come into the emergency department, you see the people that are numb and there's, they're almost cool. You know, you're like, I want to be like them one day, like nothing affects them. But as I'm getting older, I realize that that's not cool. You know, <laughs> it's, that has to spill over into their, their life outside of the emergency department that has to spill over into their everyday experience with their, their wives and, and their husbands and their parents and their children. You know, they're, it's not an on off switch. And as much as we'd like to give ourselves credit, we can't, we can't turn it on and off. People ask, how do you do it? How do you turn it off on and off? We can't, but what we can do, I think is talk about our experiences is address our traumas head on and find what it is that you love outside of the emergency department to recenter yourself and bring you back to that idealistic you know, caring, feeling intern or med student. And, and for me, you know, that I've been able to achieve that through my nonprofit work and through this digital creator stuff. And honestly, as a digital creator, it's been beautiful because, you know, I have, I'll try to do my educational videos and stuff like that, or my just strict, like, you know, comedy entertainment videos, but there are other ones where I just, you know, I, I, I shut down the part of my brain. That's like, I have to fill this 10 second video or 30 second video or 16, 60 second video with the most dense information that I can, or else I'm going to lose people's attention. Sometimes I just, I just turn on my camera and I just talk. I just talk about the most painful experiences that I've had in medicine. And it's like therapy, honestly, I've never gone to therapy, but shoot, maybe I should because <laughs> I feel so much more in touch with who I am and and my emotions because of just talking about it just talking about the things that we've been through the, the traumas that we experience on a regular basis and it seems and it seems you know soft and and again as a resident i'd probably look at an attending that's talking about needing to feel their emotions and i'd probably scoff at it a little bit and be like oh you know like being numb man that's the way i don't know but man my life is just so much happier and my depth of emotion um, is, is so much more broad because of the joy that I found outside of the emergency department. And I enjoy my job as an emergency doctor more because of that as well. It gives me like a fresh perspective on what we're doing and how truly amazing it is. Uh, that's so important. And I think, I, I think we all relate to that loss of self. I think there are so many of us that absolutely lose ourselves in in our training, and and that's sometimes in some ways part of it. Um, mm -hmm. I think we learn to compartmentalize to survive. Um, but what I hope, I hope that everyone will hear your message today, and I hope that they will realize um, that that loss of self doesn't have to be forever, mm -hmm. and that if they have lost themselves, that they will really commit to um, you know to to finding their joy this year. I think that, mm -hmm. that there's no better time. This is like a new, a new beginning for all of us. And, um, I can tell you that I am a better person, um, just by knowing you, 
I am absolutely oh, thrilled to have had so, so much, so much time with you today. And I know that you bring joy to so many. I know that you brighten my day, every opportunity that I get to see you. And I know that you will touch so many of our listeners today. So J-Mac, thank you so much for your time today. It is absolutely our pleasure to host you. And, um, and we appreciate everything that you do um, every day and the joy that you bring to all of those around you. What a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for doing this podcast. Talk about bringing joy to others by sharing other people's stories and by connecting with people. I mean, you are making a significant impact in, in physicians and providers and medical health professionals in general all across the country. I think it's so cool. Yes, very good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll do it another time. Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> Wow, that was fun. Heather, thank you. And J-Mac, just listening to you makes me feel good. You bring cheer to us all. For you listening, I hope you've enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast as much as I have. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you. Thank you.